Hello, everyone. You're listening to Digital Builder, a podcast brought to you by Autodesk, made for construction professionals who want to hear from those on the forefront of construction technology. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Each episode will feature a conversation with a construction industry leader. Together, we'll dig in on themes related to connected construction and discuss where the future of the construction industry is headed. Now let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of Digital Builder. I'm your host, Eric Thomas. This week, I'm joined by Eddie and Tyler Campbell, co-hosts of the Construction Brothers podcast. Tyler and Eddie are sixth-generation builders and own ABSI, a virtual building and modeling company based out of Georgia. And today, we're discussing communication and collaboration in the construction industry. Thanks for joining me on the show today, guys. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, man. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's going to be a fun conversation. And, you know, before we jump in, I have to acknowledge we have three podcast hosts on the show today, which is, I think, in atypical circumstances and a little bit funny to me. Can you tell me, how did you guys end up co-hosting a construction podcast on top of owning your own construction business? Eddie, I'm going to let you take this one because you te- you, you love telling this story so much. Because I love so this much. story. Yeah, I please. I love this story. Tyler it. walks in one day with a bunch of podcast equipment, <laughs> basically, and says, we're starting a podcast. Kaplop. You know, like, here we, here we go. <laughs> So, and Eddie went, how much did you spend? And I said, it doesn't matter. You'll see it on my statement next month. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way it worked. That was pretty much it. It it was really, I mean, in in seriousness, it was a way, because we are in not only like Georgia, we're not like Atlanta area. We're like, you know, South Central Georgia, which is like middle of nothing. So we're a small town. We love our little small town, but it's hard for our voices to go anywhere easily unless we have some sort of means to convey that mm-hmm. podcast was great yeah so now all of a sudden you know we get to talk to awesome people like you eric and it doesn't matter where we're at we can like virtually span the globe and it's been cool we have we've talked yeah. to people in australia we've talked to people in the uk we've talked to people like all over the world and it's we're still sitting here in Little Milledgeville, so it's pretty yeah. fun. It was so much fun to you know be able to start spreading our wings out there and being able to bring people in and say, all right, we want to hear what you have to say. And it's amazing who you can get on the line when you just say, I'm going to put a microphone in front of you and I want to hear your thoughts on this. Like A lot of people will throw their hands up and say, I want to be a part of that. So it's been a lot of fun to be a part of and, and build. I think it's it's one of my favorite parts about you know, hosting Digital Builder too. And the guests that I've had the privilege to talk to so far have been in Europe and Singapore, in Australia, all over the place. And, you know, just hearing that perspective and the commonality in our industry, even if we use different terms and phrases to describe the stuff, is all still super similar. So it's it's cool to learn from everybody and jump in. And we have this really unique industry where 10 to 20 completely different companies can be working on a single project together and everybody's scope has overlaps and this is paired with schedule durations that shorten you know all the time what it feels like and personally i think one big reason that this scenario exists and ends in success is the relationships that we build every project on so i think to start our listeners would really benefit from hearing a bit more context about how and when you're looped into a new project can you walk us through how as a company offering vdc and modeling services steel detailing etc how you fit into the life of that new project that possibly went out to bid today. Yeah, we are down the chain a little bit. Most of the time when we come into a project, it's because the owner and 
architect have already gotten together and done their thing. A structural engineer has done their thing. That's trickled down. General contractor bidding and in whatever project scenario you've got going on, whatever delivery method is kind of there. And now a steel fabricator enters the picture. And so every once in a while, you know, we will venture up and we see a lot of value in like, you know, being a part of helping to kind of design assist. But many times the point of entry is after everything is designed after the die is kind of cast, after the GC has been awarded, after the fabricator, the subcontractor has been awarded, and now we get plans and we find ourselves directly on the critical path of almost every schedule that we've ever been on. So and it's, everybody, uh, everybody starts beating on our door at it's that point. It's a fun <laughs> game. Yeah, You go nowhere <laughs> until we have done our work. So yeah. that gets exciting. I can imagine, you know, and, and like I mentioned earlier, the ever shortening schedule duration too, the amount of time to catch and digest all of the documentation associated with a new project is probably not as much as you would like. And so that kind of leads into my first question, actually, which based on some of our prior conversations is a loaded question, but I'd like to start with it anyway, because I think it sets the the stage for, you know, how you fit in. So when new projects do come across your desks, tell me a little bit more about how you feel about the bid documents you receive. I'm not going to touch this. So I'm going to let you go, man. <laughs> you, you're going to have so much fun. Have, all right. I'm, I'll be over here. Okay. How do I feel? I feel angry. I feel frustrated. I feel like when we play the word game, I feel a lot of things that are negative when I get a set of bid docs. I joke. I mean, most of the time, the bid documentation, I think we could all probably sing the same song. They lack something that we want to be able to do our job. And so they are given to us a very fast clip. They're rushed out more than ever now, as you mentioned. And man, I mean, we find ourselves trying to put the details of a project together that really has very little detail. And man, talk about frustrating. That, uh, yeah. Very we, difficult. We have a project that's going right now. It shall remain nameless because I don't want to throw too much shade or anything, but we keep getting revisions on revisions on revisions on revisions to our design documents because the designers did not have the time to nail down these details, to talk to the parties like the glazers, to talk to the HVAC subs, to talk to the steel detailers to talk to talk to everybody and yeah you don't need to talk to everybody but man just taking a second and doing a tactical pause kind of like what we talked about with kelly doyle to just get that stuff ironed out and maybe get a little bit closer because man if they had just taken two more weeks on this stuff that's not a ton of time but man they, they would have come up with so many better ways of doing things and it would have made the whole process just go smoother and i think it's painful too because like Accelerated schedules used to be a like a, a competitive advantage for the construction industry, and now it's it's simply just the expectation. Like the baseline is we're going to do this in this crazy amount of time. Where ten years ago everybody look, would have looked at you cross-eyed, and obviously the technology has changed, and there's things that have brought us to a point where that's more attainable. But I think those conversations and that insight that you would have if people did step back a little bit do bring a lot to the table. Is there anything else the owners of the world and all the other stakeholders in the process when they bring you into a new project and send out documentation? Is there anything they could change that would really help you out from your perspective? After having spoken with a group of owners recently, I think the number one thing that we need to work on as an industry is transparency. I think it's a thing that the owners desire, particularly in design, where they want transparency. And I, I think, as you said, we've got 
I think the technology and the tools are there to be able to lift the veil, but they talked a lot about how when they're going through a design process, it's like, okay, you know, the, the designers go off and do their thing and then they show up for 30% DDs and they just kind of like drop the PDFs and everybody gets two weeks to say whatever they need to say after they've been working on it for two months. And then it's like, okay, curtains back down and we're going to come back to it. And now 70% DDs come out and it's the same bit, like drop it on the table. All right, you get two weeks. Okay. Curtains back on until we get maybe to, you know, final condocs, which are probably released six weeks after we're already in construction anyway. <laughs> yeah. Which is hilarious. <laughs> which is, yeah, the tactical pause never got taken no. and we never stopped to plan anything. So I think owners want to see more of the design process as it goes and I think that rubs us really wrong. I mean, we don't want everybody to be looking at all of our things, but the best analogy I, I heard drawn was this is on a construction site, something I can do. I can walk around. I can see the pipe in the ground. I can look at the ductwork hanging. I can see whether the steel's erected. I watch a progress bar of my project. There's no hiding it. But in design, that doesn't happen. And so that transparency, I think, would be a big thing, would be something that we, like organizationally, would love to work more towards to help people have that proverbial progress bar. It was really interesting whenever the owners were talking about that. I was, I was like, wait, hold on a second. You feel like you're not able to see behind the curtain, too? Like, you're the owner. You should be able to see everything, right? <laughs> like, from our perspective down here, and, and that's kind of the fun thing with, you know, doing a podcast, right, is that you get to sit down with these people, and you get to learn these things and these gripes that they have. And so, with us, you know, we sat down with them, and they're saying, we can't see behind the curtain. Well, this is the same thing that Eddie and I have been saying, and our dad has been saying for a long time, is that, man, we just, we wish that we could get behind the curtain and, and start, you know, helping helping people out and drive that transparency, you know, through innovation. And, and it's funny where we're at right now, we're working with a fabricator, you know, we've got to go all the way back up the chain of command to talk to an engineer, right? So I've got to go through my fabricator's PM and then my fabricator's PM has to issue an RFI that goes to the GC and then the GC then puts their RFI together and then puts it over to the, the engineer. And then I finally get my answer and then it comes back down the ladder to me. I'm like, dude, if we could all just get in the room together and work through this, Instead of just trying to, you know, CYA, right? Let's, you know, cover ourselves all the time. It's the CYA that has caused us to really have this brokenness in the industry that I see. And, and it's funny to hear that the owners are experiencing this, you know, the GCs are experiencing this, that we're experiencing this, and everybody in between. It was just mind-boggling for me. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird feeling when we step back and look at, you know, our delivery methods in that sense, because everybody's trying to protect themselves. And I understand, like, you've got to do your due diligence to ensure, you know, your company and your people are going to be okay. But taking that step back and trying to find ways to communicate and collaborate to share that information and have those discussions so everybody's on the same page is super important. And I can speak from kind of the perspective of the GC, if I look back towards more of the bidding phase still, as a proposal manager working on very large proposals, you know, typically two, three, four hundred million dollars for some of the bigger ones, like the delivery phase of those would be insanity because it would be two, three of those in a single week and the deadlines were mental. All of the specialty contractors, the subcontractors who were bidding on these projects would be wrapped up underneath that bubble. And 
they would be delivering just in time because nobody wants to shop out their bid, obviously, early because then you start this competition war. So two hours before I'm supposed to submit this proposal on a deadline that is inflexible to a minute, I'm receiving all this final information, the final you know subcontract documentation. And it was madness and the most stressful thing ever. And I don't have a good answer for how to fix that too, but I do know that it's painful for the GCs. It's not just painful for the specialty contractors. It's not just painful for the owners. The whole thing is just a ball of stress and then boom, you get the award and you're supposed to start building immediately. It's it's just madness. When you get into a highly competitive bid, there is a thought, I think, if you're an estimator and you've put a proposal in is, oh man, what I miss? Because <laughs> you got low and then you're wondering like, where were the other guys? Like, how, how low was I? And so sometimes that information is <laughs> oh, exposed and sometimes yeah. it's not. And you wonder to yourself, did I get this project right? Or did I get this project because of something I did wrong? And so as many times there's, there's a case to be made for overages because of what we don't know. There's also a, a case to be made for the fact that people are getting hosed on projects because they weren't given a fair shake at actually wrapping their arms around what they have to build and the product they have to deliver, which is it's tough. And I, I know, man, we've got delivery schedules and those owners, too, they were saying actually getting in that building. I mean, time to market is huge. So I, I get it. But sometimes time to market is actually sacrificed by poor planning, not aided by rushing through that that process. So. Yeah, it's it's tough industry to be in, and uh, I think there's some things we can a lot do of to help it along. A lot of times we're just told to just start marching, right? Which is sometimes an, an okay thing to do, but man, so often we just start marching and we start flailing our arms around and just acting like we're doing things. And instead of doing the right thing, the next right thing, a good thing. And, and that's kind of where I, I see the disconnect there. And we, we had the opportunity of talking to our, our grandfather, who's, you know, he's in his 90s. And he came up and, you know, he started in 1958 as a superintendent. And interviewing him, it was surreal. Like, it was crazy because we asked him, he was like, hey, Pop, you know, how many RFI do you think you guys sent on this massive project that you did? And this was a Millette Hall and it was up in Ohio and big old trusses and all sorts of stuff going on in it a lot. I asked him, how many RFI do you think you sent? He's like, I don't know. Uh, I, I couldn't even spell RFI, honestly. I, I don't know. <laughs> He's like, because, zero. Was because zero. Because zero. He was like, if any issues came up, I mean, we'd solve them in the field. You know, we would solve them in the field as in I would go out to the job site and we would have our monthly meeting and, and we're good. And everybody would do their job. I'm like, monthly meeting? <laughs> monthly meeting? I had two meetings this past week on, on one job. Project. Yeah. <laughs> and we still don't know what we're doing. Like, so I, I feel like the, the trade aspect of things is, is that we're pushing these designers in and we're giving them great tools, but the designers still don't quite know how a building goes together in a lot of ways. And so we, I think a big push for us is saying, all right, let's get passionate about preaching. This is how we build now. Like we take pride in what we do. We understand how the systems work. We understand how this stuff goes together. And the only thing that will drive better design is a better understanding of how the systems work, right? That's where we kind of get on our soapbox is that these tools are great. 
they're very robust. But if you put them in the hands, and our dad has this, you know, analogy of giving a chainsaw to a kindergartner, it's probably not going to go well, right? <laughs> you got little Chucky running around and cutting people. That's that's not great. So I, I think that would be kind of my charge to people is that, you know, make sure you get out in the field, you learn the trades that you're starting to specify for, and, you know, just just take time to become a better builder. I like that way you, you frame it too, because it does ensure that the end users and the people who are doing the building do have that opportunity to help inform the process because you know, without that, it's harder to make those choices and those design decisions and everything else. I think back to a motorcycle that I'm actually working on right now. This is completely unrelated to construction, but I've got a Honda Africa Twin out in my garage and I was doing the full service on it a couple of months ago. And Honda's wonderful for building really great technology at an effective price that performs well and is cool, but they don't think about the end user who actually has to work on it, the engineer is back in the office going, oh, I can get the battery down here and it's going to bring the center of gravity down this and it's going to be great to ride, which is true. But the moment you have to take it apart to do service intervals that have to happen every 16,000 miles, you just want to melt into a puddle and sell the bike and buy a new one because it's such a nightmare to get in there and do the things. And so that's what I was thinking about when you're sharing that. I think it's a similar circumstance. Yeah, we actually heard them speak a lot about design assist. And I think that's because design build, we were talking to more like institutional type owners and people that are dealing with state finance commissions and things of this nature, where their hands are kind of tied, like delivery methods are actually brought down by edict, you know, they've, they've got a delivery method they have to abide by. And that might be actually having a construction manager doing a CM deal, but they'll use a CM and, and plus design assist to try to bring the trades, the subcontracts upwards in the process and get some of that information and the heart behind like what Tyler was saying with pop is the one month meeting was a time where people all got together around a table and looked at the issues together and I think you know pop he was on a very large project it took two and a half years to build that I don't know what that project schedule would be today I do know that it wouldn't have been a superintendent, a project manager, and a timekeeper with some carpenter foreman. It would have been a team of 20 PMs and a lot of people. The thing about it is, are we getting more effective about how we are distributing information, how we are collaborating with each other? We beat collaboration to death to mm -hmm. the point where it's a word that we're like sick of hearing. It's just such a cliche thing that we're like, oh, great. Yeah. Collaboration and teamwork. Good. You do it too. But there are tools now that are creating platforms whereby we can break the bump, bump, bump chain of command passing of information and get things more like centered to where all parties involved that need to know can look at these things. But creating a culture where people want to do that and busting up that, that kind of old mentality of no, this is how it goes mm -hmm. is a hurdle we need to get over. We're trying to get over, but we, we still have a lot of work to do. Yeah, I think the, the technology piece definitely helps, but a lot of it does come back to just behavior and in a mindset in how the leadership teams really think about how they interact with all the different stakeholders on the project. And so are there any other really good behaviors or leadership or management styles that you've seen from the GCs and the other project stakeholders you've worked with that you'd really like to see just as a baseline for a good working environment? I have been involved in projects where I have been invited to the table and have been a welcomed presence. And 
we're kind of down the chain. And so a lot of times it's like, you know, you don't get to sit at the big kid table. You don't get to sit at the adult table. You stay over there. But the project teams that manage to invite feedback and really the project teams that rather than just trying to check the box, getting into mm-hmm. box checking mentality, which is, you know, I mean, if I get a CPM or I get like whatever, whatever scheduling I'm doing, however I'm doing that, whether it's an Excel spreadsheet or whether I'm on Primavera, whatever, I've got to check a box, right? I've got nodes that I need to meet. I got schedules I got to keep. And so when I get into that box checking, I'm not really looking to understand the best projects that I've gotten the chance to be a part of had project managers, senior project managers, superintendents that were seeking to understand the problems, engage them and actually solve them instead of just beating people over the head to go. They understood the process and they were agents of really of help, right? They, they were there to actually push that process forward. Those have been the best experiences for me is where people are invited to the table, they're listened to, and then problems are solved rather than fended off or you know brought to a place where we just go to blows. It, it just becomes combative because uh, I don't know how many times, you know, if we're, we're working the steel realm a lot. I don't know how many times I've heard the superintendent just, you know, bang the table. I just want my steel. I just want my steel. And it's like, well, I just want your steel there too. Cause I don't want to have to hear from you anymore. And I'd really make more money if I could just finish the thing. But I have things that because there's a deficiency somewhere in the design document land, I can't do the thing. And unless you stop and actually try to understand, we'll never pass go. We're just going to pull on either end of the rope. The best project managers that I've worked with in my time as a detailer are the ones that will pick up the phone and call you and say, do you have everything you need? I mean, do you have all of your questions answered? What is like, is there anything that you need from me? And it is that just stepping in occasionally and just throwing up your hand and being there and being an an active participant in the job that makes the job go so much smoother. It's when they go into the box checking mode of, I just need my steel. I just need this. I just need that. I just need like, without looking at all of the other obstacles that are in the way for me to get my job done, man, it, it starts to crumble really quickly. So the best teams are the ones that do check ins and they don't need to be like big meeting, big everything, yada, da, da, da. Like It needs to just be a, hey, pick up the phone, talk to somebody. How's it going? What can I help you with? I'm here if you need me. It's not hard, but slowing down to do that is sometimes pretty hard. And it's such a a human element to that conversation, too. Instead of, I've witnessed too many grown men standing on the other side of a conference table, literally screaming and yelling at each other over something that's going on a construction project. And that's not a really great example to set for anybody working on the project, because now you've kind of defined this weird confrontation baseline versus a collaborative way to, you know, finding the source of the problem and coming up with the solution. I feel like that's changing now as some more of our generations are getting into the construction industry. And I'm, I'm optimistic and hopeful that there's, you know, a really good path forward there. But like, it always was just very strange, as a, especially earlier in my career, where I watched just grownups just screaming at each other over some obviously not minor issue. There's there's a lot of cost, you know, and a lot of dollars on the line, but that never felt good to see by any means. Yeah, Eric, I'd, we were involved in a series of 
what I'll call golf entertainment facilities that I won't say the name of and because we'd have to pay a lot of money to do that. Because we'd have to pay a lot of money to do that. And <laughs> we were, we were in a, involved in a design assist role where we were, we were brought forward in the process, really kind of integrated into the design and really a very strong virtual design presence in that project delivery, very creative and, and very cool in so many ways. But I, I will never forget a moment where we were in a meeting, owner, architect, structural engineer, design builder, everybody's at the table and we're all sitting around and the architect literally looked across the table, pointed at me and said, I don't want to have to ever talk to him. (laughs) And it was because I was, I wasn't a proper designer. I was beneath. And the problem was, is that, I mean, from the, the depths and genuineness of my heart, I just wanted to help. And in so many ways, we became like keepers of information and we were the, the source of cohesion. If you can imagine going from site to site to site to site and then trying to convey lessons learned again and again and again. Having a model as a source of that cohesion was a, a huge value add, right? But it also brought us to a place where we were maybe responsible for more than a a normal VDC guy would be or BIM guy would be, you know, we, we had a little more say here and there and a little more opinion. And so it was a source of contention and you talk about how it's relational. It's, it's a people thing. We come back to that again and again. We hear so many new tech things and the tech that we have is cool. That Some of the things that are coming out are just amazing and useful and helpful, but our tactics need to follow that tech. We have to have tech that we're using well. And so being humble enough to kind of change our processes is something that I think we're going to continue to have to go through over the coming years as we find new ways of delivering projects under these demanding schedules. Yeah, for me, I, you know, we've talked to a ton of people now, and, and that is the most common thread is that, yeah, I mean, I love tech. I'm a big nerd when it comes to this stuff, right? So I, I'm first to raise my hand when people ask that. But at the end of the day, it's the people that have to operate it. And so if you don't care for them, then they're just going to produce crap quicker, you know? And for me, I just, I, I want to keep pointing back to the people and focusing on those relationships because those are the things that that are evergreen, that are going to last, you know? Those are the things that make projects go from a, a grumbling mess to you can all stand around, look at the building as a team, GC, architect, engineer, you know, owner, stand around your building and smile and say, good job, good job, everybody. You did a... <laughs> applause all around. (laughs) Like that's how we want to finish. We don't, and it it feels like now, anytime we finish a project, it's like, Oh my gosh, so glad to have that one behind me. Instead of being like, ah, man, I really hate that. I'm not going to be able to see you anymore. And you know, let's try to work together again. Like we don't have those types of relationships anymore. It's all siloed back in the email and Oh my gosh, don't get me on my high horse there. I dislike email greatly. I think it is probably the biggest plague of our industry right now that causes confusion and, and but you don't like per my last Jeez. email. <laughs> the, oh my the, <laughs> the worst projects that I've been involved with, the worst projects that I've been involved with are the ones where project managers always email me back. 
every single time and don't take the time to actually bullet things out. Don't take the time to provide clarity. They have their caps locks stuck. I don't know why. Every superintendent has their caps locks stuck, so we need to check their phones or their computers or something. But, you know, it, for me, I feel like email is a big thing that, that really has driven a lot of confusion in the industry. Yeah, it's good for certain things. And Eddie and I are on different boats when it comes to this, so he'll, he'll come back and say, yeah, it's not all email, but I hate it. <laughs> that's my that's my take. <laughs> it, it has its place, but I'm yeah. not sure it's it's something we should be leveraging so heavily because everything just gets disjointed. You throw 40 emails back and forth about a thing, and it's not even necessarily documented in a way that's usable at the end of the day, too. So it's it's more of you know streamlining that communication and picking up the phone where necessary. And I know as we were talking about before, the subs aren't always in the driver's seat in a project and you're, you're often beholden to the decisions that others are making. Are there any parts of the process where subs are empowered to take action and really improve co collaboration? Like where, where are the spaces that, you know, the other subcontractors that they're listening can say, okay, I can grab this and I can control this and I can help improve, you know, X. Focusing on doing your job well. That's the biggest thing that you can control, right? And also helping, that, that helps the people upstream stay organized as well. Because just if you produce confusion, then your project manager above you is going to be confused and it's just going to keep going up the chain of command. So make sure that you're doing your job well. Make sure that you're clear on anything that you send out. Take the time to clarify if need be. Make follow-up calls. Really be boots on the ground and have your, hands on the, have your hands on the problem. Go there and look at it. Have your hands on the problem. We could probably go in a lot of different directions, yeah. modular construction or, you know, some sort of idiosyncrasy of a specific area, you know, electrical or structure, whatever. But I'm going to say, generally speaking, the thing that hits my mind first is have the ability to empathize with the people above you and below you. And by empathy, I mean, understand their plight. If you're a subcontractor, do the work of understanding why the superintendent has his caps lock stuck. Yes. Because yeah. props to those guys. Respect. I love a great superintendent. They're the guys out there making it happen. Understand why the project manager doesn't answer the email in five minutes. You know, understand why things are critical. And one of the things that I know I like to do is stopping for a moment with a project manager, if we have a hair on fire moment and saying, why is this important? Like, why is this important to you? Help me understand. And then listen, because it's amazing what can happen when you understand why they're yelling at you. You know, I mean, we got yelled at the other day because we needed to have ladders on site. We had cage ladders have to be on site. And we're sitting there thinking like, what would cage ladders hold up? I mean, how, how could this possibly on the critical path of anything? But as it turned out, the, the general contractor was trying to put up veneer block and we had supports going through the veneer and he needed him for his block mason or his brick guy. So they didn't have to come try to cut these things back in. Having that little bit of understanding gave me the ability to react and say, what you asked me for was ladders, but what you need is brackets. And now I understand why you're in such a mode of priority here is like, you do need this. And now I understand. So now I can hop around a little more. Empathy skills, the ability to just say, help me understand are a big deal and stay humble. 
I think mm-hmm. that that fuels that whole thing. Oh yeah, I like that framing a lot because as I've gotten further along in my career too, there's there's definitely been moments where something will happen, and my first reaction is, "Why is this person doing this?" And then I'm mad about it, and perceiving it as being like a an aggressive confrontation. And when I've stepped back, like you said, ninety nine percent of the time, whatever that person did wasn't done with you know, spite. It wasn't done with bad intentions. There might be a miscommunication. There might be a misunderstanding or some, some awkward middle ground and a, and a dance you need to do to, you know, figure out the source of the problem. But most of the time, people aren't coming to the table trying to be crappy to each other. They're, they're coming to the table trying to get their job done. Everybody's stressed out a bit. And, and that empathy definitely goes that extra mile. So I'd like to kind of come back to our fun contract conversation a little bit here, <laughs> which is, you know, the most exciting one we can have. <laughs> but I think it's very tied to to relationships too, especially when there are contract disputes. Do you have any advice for everyone out there listening? Like if, if something does get contentious and seems like it's leaning towards being litigious, is there a good way to navigate that you know, with that empathy in mind to ensure that everybody's whole at the end of the day and you don't end up in those screaming matches? <laughs> Number one, if you can go to that individual in person, absolutely positively go to that person hat in hand with humility and try your darndest to put the, the emotion away. And we have a couple of things around here when things start to get heated. One is it's the old, uh, I don't know if you remember Dragnet from way back, but Joe Friday used to say, just the facts, man. And that's kind of something dad kind of drilled into me is when you get there, it's let's get to just the facts. No emotion. I'm not interested in emotion right now. Let's look at the facts of the matter and then let's do what's fair. If we could get there, well, yeah, I mean, things may get litigious, but we're probably going to bring an umpire in or an arbitrator to try to avoid court anyway. And all that arbitrator is going to do is get paid to try to make you two be fair to each other. Mm -hmm. And you're probably not going to like what they come up with because <laughs> they're probably just going to split the baby and move on. So it's, you know, <laughs> it's best if you can get into a room and get through that process together. If not, then find maybe somebody that isn't a professional arbitrator, but somebody who is a neutral third party to try to broker that conversation. And that can just be there and be honest and say, hey, um, you know, I hear Joe saying this, but Sally, have you ever thought about this side of things and they can just very quietly be somebody that's that's there to just try to make the conversation productive Mm -hmm. so that's that's the best things i know to do when things get there sometimes there's no turning back sometimes people don't want to divorce themselves from emotion sometimes it's just about beating you up and people are a little slimy at times and that i mean we have to protect ourselves in those ways and and that stinks but if if we could treat each other fairly and right i I think that takes care of a, a lot of things There's a really important piece of the puzzle of what he just said, too, and and I want to make sure that I point this out, is that go to them in person, is to look them in the eye and work through the problem together. Tone doesn't convey over text, right? We know this, we know this. And that's kind of my whole beef with email is that tone doesn't convey. There's no way to really 
give somebody empathy or understand the challenges that they're facing. We've been given this gift of being able to use our vocal cords, or at least a lot of us have been able to, you know, use our vocal cords to express ourselves. I think it's important that we start doing that again as an industry. And so the only way that you're going to be able to solve an issue like that is go ahead, write down all the issues, get the bullet points out, right? But don't send the email, take that piece of paper, take your iPad, however you want to take it, lay it in front of them. And let's talk through this and let's stand around the table and figure this out. So don't, don't overlook that. That is probably the thing that has gotten me out of the most trouble during my career. Whenever things get heated is by, you know, when I can going and standing with them or getting on the phone and talking it through or even a zoom meeting, you know, looking at somebody in the eye is always, that's always very, very helpful. Yeah. I I think just having that real conversation makes such a difference because it's very easy to write the snarkiest, grumpiest email in the moment that you're filled with maximum rage, push, send, walk away from your desk. And then, you know, half an hour later, you step back and go, Ooh, should I have been that to the point on on that email because I I don't know if the email that's coming back is one that I'm going to want to get you know are you going to yeah. tell them what we do here no well no. <laughs> I I've heard this there are a lot of things attributed to Abraham Lincoln you know and it it's almost gotten to where that's comical now but <laughs> I have heard it said that Abraham Lincoln had letters in his desk that he wrote but never sent and some sometimes there's some value to that. Now, maybe you want to write that on a Word doc where you don't accidentally hit send, but sometimes it can be useful to vent your frustrations in a way that, you know, you can kind of get that out of your system and go, okay, yeah, that's not going to work. I can't send that. And, you know, <laughs> put away the email that says, you know, keep starting out with per that, yeah. you know, and, and pick on the things that we're, you know, read an email for being passive aggressive. If you do have to send an email to document something that can get a little testy, try to stick with the facts, stay away from the passive aggressive approach. It feels good to you in the moment, but it's no good for the total process. Yeah, you're chipping away. You're chipping away on it. Somebody can make some money by inventing a plugin that would automatically delete per my last for many email that you send. <laughs> just before you push send, it just deletes it and you move on. Another pro tip for anybody out there listening, when you're writing important emails, add the email addresses to the document last because you can't uh, yes. accidentally push the go button. So yes. it's a, a good tip out there because I'll fat finger it even on my keyboard and I've got a nice keyboard in front of me and all of a sudden a half written email goes out into the ether and I go, Oop, all right, well, I get to reply no, all to that crap. and say, hey, sent that too early. And then, <laughs> you know, I look like it's, you know, my first email, which <laughs> nobody, uh, nobody wants to, uh, to exhibit, especially <laughs> when you're trying to be yeah. professional. If you're using Google, you've got the undo function, which I have a 30 second delay on every email that I send, which I can hit the undo button on, which has saved my butt so many stinking times. I, man, I would have, I would have gotten this place sued so many times, so many <laughs> <Whatever>. times. <laughs> yeah, well, what I was going to say earlier too, is that what we do is we kind of have this, we'll just say snark check in our office. Yeah. We'll just say snark check like yeah. that. And then uh, Eddie and I'll, you know, we'll come over and read it or I'll come over and read Eddie's email. He'll come over and read mine and just make sure that we're not being absolutely 
just mean to the person that's on the other end. Most of the time, we end up just deleting that email anyway and, and picking up the phone and calling them. That, that's what I end up doing at least. Yeah. yeah. Well, you got your thoughts down at that point at least and you go, okay, I know what I'm yeah. upset about now and I can now frame it in a way that's not necessarily confrontational and in a in a documented way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and if you, you've got your follow-up email too. So if you go ahead and make that call, you can talk to the person, walk them through those bullet points and then hit send, you know, and then just say, per our conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I had to go there. (laughs) It's the best starting point for any email. (laughs) Per, all caps. Yeah, 18 point (laughs) font, just to to make sure you get that message across. Bold, italics, and underline, baby. Let's go. Everybody knows about the capitalization and everything like that, (laughs) but if project managers never sent me another email that said hot, oh, geez. Any, in any, version of hot that you can think of this is hot that's Fire. hot i'm like i'm let me see one two three four five okay apparently the whole world's burning down <laughs> you know like everybody's got a thing that's important and so i uh, I, I have yeah. a snarky email that i'll confess to you that i sent one time somebody sent an email that basically said this thing is on Fire. And so I found their local fire department's phone number and I actually sent them the <laughs> fire department's phone number said you might want to call them. And so that was one of those where I had the arrow in the knock and I had it pulled back and I just, I just let it go and I'll never get it back. <laughs> it gave everybody around the office a good laugh though. I will yeah. say that. <laughs> totally unhelpful, but really funny. Oh, really unhelpful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not Mr. Perfect. I do not want people to think that ever. I don't have things all figured out. Lord knows I've sent some stupid emails. In this my is day. easy, easy say hard do. Oh yes. Easy say hard do. The stand of comedy baseline and construction needs to move, you know, upward. So I appreciate your efforts, even if they're, you know, intentional infrequent but (laughs) (laughs) so we've we've covered a pretty wide span of the dreaded collaboration word here and I appreciate the insight from you know just the seat that you have at the table in that perspective but if you could change anything else about the AEC industry that we haven't already discussed and we don't have to narrow it down to that collaboration and communication piece that we've kind of focused on so far like what would it be like if if you could pull a lever and, and make a couple changes for the better where would you start? I would really love to see designers become more building centric, be more focused on learning how things go together, how buildings are built, what actually happens in the field. I would love to see the AEC industry. I mean, we have a huge trades focus. That's a very popular thing to, to drum right now. But I would love to see the AEC community in a very practical way, get themselves into the field more so that they could understand and really hone their craft to where we could go back to a day where we could call ourselves a master architect or a master builder. You know, it's, it's interesting to me that I, you know, the Eiffel Tower, the guy that, that was the architect on that actually did every shop drawing, like did every steel beam drawing too. Every single drew drawing? Every beam. Wow. Every beam. I mean, that's not the level of detail that anybody's going to, but... Look at what he built. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I'll, I'll get hyper specific here. Just from our seat is delegated connection design. I would want to see that go away. That really drives us nuts around here, especially when we provide a package and then it gets commented back. Oh, no, don't do it like that. Do it like this. We prefer this instead. I'm like, well, you did delegate it to us. 
So yeah, okay, we'll issue a CO on it. So that one's a really broken part of the industry I would like to see go away. It makes sense. I mean, if if they have an expectation about how a thing's done, they should probably let you know before you go out and start doing the thing without that guidance. Uh, <laughs> it just seems like a, an awkward, yeah. broken misstep in the in the whole scheme and ultimately wastes your time. And then theirs because they're now you know revising what you've delivered when they asked you to do it at the first place. Yeah, it ends up getting into a place where you're spending a heck of a lot more money than than you would have if you just let your engineer finish their work. <laughs> so <laughs> I would just recommend don't do that anymore, please. And we're, we're seeing a lot of it right now. And sometimes it goes okay. Other times it's, it's not, but it yeah, that, definitely slows things down. That's a weird little idiosyncrasy of the steel industry is that you know, the way a column and a beam connect to one another, if you're, I mean, kind of the way we frame it is if you're west of the Mississippi, a lot of times the engineers will say, no, I want to control that. And that's probably got something to do with culture, but that's probably got something to do with the seismicity of the sites as you go west. Mm -hmm. But in the east, many times the how does the beam to column thing work is delegated down. And so that's what Tyler's talking about. And it's a pretty big line item that I don't think owners know that they didn't get in their original design and that their fabricators are now covering. So it's one of those uh, know what you're buying in design Mm -hmm. moments, like know how much design you just bought for that engineer was that was the cheapest engineer. Yeah. So I love I love this level of perspective that you guys were able to bring. And it's actually one of the big reasons why I was excited about bringing you on the show was just getting that looking up at the entire industry and, and seeing where like the levers you can pull to you know help improve the processes and then you know giving that opportunity to share some of that feedback so I've got one final question that you know all of our listeners are likely very familiar with I asked it of all the guests and it's one of my favorite parts of the episode because the answers range so dramatically so you you can really choose your own adventure here on how you want to answer this one but what is one tool you will always carry in your toolbox, no matter what type of project you're working on. Tyler, how about you kick this one off? Mm, 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 mm. I think probably AirPods. I think that that's one little tool that I'll throw in there. I know it's not really a tool, but it, it just, I don't know, it's entertainment. Because <laughs> what we do here, I'm clicking through drawings all day, every day, you know, and so having uh, having podcasts to turn on, that's, that's helpful. I like the AirPods right. for their functionality, but I give a hard no for uh, guests wearing them on the show because of the amount of uh, oh, glitchy preach. sound errors I experience. <laughs> preach. Yeah, I so saw that on guests your that listening please do not wear yeah. airpods if you join me on digital builder <laughs> oh gosh man no preach it because yeah i saw that as a as a checklist item whenever you sent out your email and i was like yes yes that uh-huh yes that's the thing <laughs> another one i'll throw out there is is probably trello but i don't know if i would carry it from every to every single job you know what i mean so from now until eternity so but for now trello i'll, I'll definitely put out there all right, so here's this this to me, huh? Yes, sir. We can go metaphorical with this, uh, apparently, because Eric, Eric told us so at the beginning. So no matter what I do, no matter where I go, no matter what I try, one thing I always want to carry with me is hard work. I just value that in a, a huge way. Why you got to be like that, man? Because from a... <laughs> no, there's a reason. Make, making me look bad over here. Jeez. There's there's a reason. I mean, I could get into the psychoanalysis of this whole thing. Oh, how please spare a small us. kid and all this stuff. Spare but us. I, I value it because no matter what your faculties or capacities are, 
hard work will always make you a little bit better. Like you can, you can absolutely get yourself to a next bar by working hard at what you do. And so I think hard work is what I want to go with. I feel like the next step in this is that your LinkedIn bio is going to change to school of hard knocks. <laughs> I think it's going to happen. It, I, I didn't do that this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go check as soon as this call is done. It's like, all right. like what's that, one always, that one always cracks me up. Sorry. Well, Tyler, I think you can, you can wrap your AirPods back into hard work because when you're wearing them, you know, you get to laser focus and work hard on all those drawings. So it all does come yeah. full circle. And I think you said hard work without saying hard work. So you beat him to the punch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, technically I win. That's, that's the summary here is that I win. <laughs> It is a competition here at the podcast. Um, well, you are brothers. I, I win so. often. <laughs> we are actually brothers. Yeah, it's always a race. That is that is a saying in the Campbell oh, household. It's always a race. <laughs> I, I like super, hearing it. It's yeah. it's a lot of fun, and it, it's been fun listening to your show. And I'm I'm super happy that you're able Thanks, to join. So, do you have anything you'd like to plug that our listeners would want to hear about? Oh gosh. All right. Well, yeah. If you want to hear the podcast, come check it out at www.brospodcast.com. I'm actually really happy that we got that URL. Yeah. surprisingly enough. And just look up Construction Bros wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple and Spotify, and we're also on social media doing crazy stuff all the time. And posted a Super Mario uh, video the other day that's kind of blown up. I don't know if you saw that, Eric, but oh my gosh. Like, so that's pretty fun. We it's just, mesmerizing. It is mesmerizing. It's mesmerizing. So <laughs> it's if the anything, Mario go check in the that little, out. the fireball world with little fireball wheelie things. And it's, it's like really awesome. Fireball wheelie things. Yeah. That's, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Super Mario one. It is, it is mesmerizing. And so, uh, yeah, if you want to see something fun there, go to my LinkedIn account. You can check that out. <laughs> I guess first stop is I'm checking for the School of Hard Knocks on Eddie's, and then I'm going straight to Tyler's for this video. So, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I've, got my, I've got my morning planned out already, and of course, the in the show notes we'll include a link to your your website too, so everybody can check out the website. And if anybody listening has any questions about steel detailing or communication or anything other anything inspirational they heard during this conversation, aside from the website, is there any other way they can reach out and connect with you? Yeah, hit us up on LinkedIn. We're both there and on. A- Probably more than we should be, right? Yeah, probably. You can always come to our website at absi-bim.com if you want to know more about what we do with virtual design, design assist, or any of those services. So that's probably the best routes. Yep. Should they search for your names and then follow that with School of Hard Knocks or Construction Brothers Podcast? What would be the best path? Well, uh, I try to Google my name. Did you see if I'm famous yet? Like once a week. And so every oh time I gosh. do that, nothing comes up. Like absolutely nothing comes up. So I, I don't know. Yeah. 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 No, just, yeah. Construction Brothers should be fine. And Construction you should, Brothers you should be able to find Eddie. <laughs> That's right. At least. Eddie Campbell podcast. And then podcast. be like, oh, there's only 10 of them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm fighting. Uh, uh, I'm fighting for Google ranking with a motivational speaker also named Eric Thomas. So I'm delegated to like page Ooh. ten of Google because I am also a horrible person and have spent time going how far down that rabbit hole am I? And last time I checked, <laughs> some time ago, it's somewhere on page ten or eleven. <laughs> Us podcasters, I feel like they're just a group of narcissists at our core. So uh, yeah, we do Google ourselves. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't really do that, but full uh, crap. No, I just totally week, called you out. Is Whatever. it once a week or once a day? Like, like how how frequently are you checking? <laughs> that's that's yeah. the driver there. Yeah. No comment. <laughs> Moving on. What was all the next right. question? All right, that that was the last question. So, all right, everybody li- out there listening today, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on this episode of Digital Builder. If you want to reach out to me with any questions or want to appear on an episode, you can find me on LinkedIn or via Twitter at Builder underscore digital. Also, check out our homepage that does not have quite as punchy of a URL as uh, our friends from the Construction Brothers by visiting construction.autodesk.com forward slash podcast. And on that page, you can sign up for our newsletter, suggest show topics or guest ideas. And you love the show, please take a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or any of your other podcast players. It really does make a difference for me and my team, and I'd really appreciate it. And on that final note, goodbye. You've been listening to Digital Builder. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves, and then you're done. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.